want to welcome also those who are listening to this by audio podcasts and uh, uh, those who are also watching by way of LiveGate Outreach TV, our YouTube channel. Uh, if you are here and you have not subscribed to those channels, please do so. We have sent out a few links again in recent time. If you don't know how to do it, please do so. If you are on iTunes and um, you have podcasts, uh, in your, on your, you can get podcasts on your iPad, your phones, please feel free to subscribe. Just look for us. It's LifeGate Outreach Center, and you can always listen to these messages. You can download them. You can forward them to your friends, and um, God will bless you as you do so. I'm pleased to let you know that we have a listening audience as far as Canada, America, uh, all over Africa, and uh, parts of Europe that have been telling us from time to time in their numbers that they listen to these messages and they are truly being blessed by them. And so I want to encourage us to continue to do the work of evangelism by just spreading it. And um, you see, it is always good to have a balance in the word of God. Many times, a lot of people are taught in the way of prosperity. A lot of people, a lot of teachings I've listened to in the last three decades thereabouts about prosperity in the kingdom, uh, in many cases have been uh, one-sided, as good as they may be. You see, it is good to understand the spiritual elements of prosperity, and it's also good to understand the physical elements. If you listen to some motivational speakers and people who talk a lot about work, diligence, and uh, learning, skills, those kind of things we talk about and we are talking about, they emphasize a lot on the strategies to do those things. And you can use those things and actually uh, enhance your life, no doubt. But we must understand that with God, there is a need to balance. Um, I don't know if our banner is available today. We have a banner that um, just shows what giving is all about as one of those things that has quite a lot of uh, words attached to it. It has to do with sharing. It has to do with faith. It has to do with uh, our lives in growing and increasing, offering gifts, tithes for us who are Christians. So we also need to know about the spiritual dimension of prosperity that comes about as a result of certain covenant practices. Somebody say covenant practices. So we need to understand that it's not just about learning, it's not just about having a skill set that God has given to you to use to prosper as it were, but we also need to be in a place where we are learning how to give and how to do the spiritual things commanded uh, uh, by God. And so there is a need to give the balance. Last week and the last couple of weeks we have established and we'll keep establishing that it's God's will that we prosper. There are places in the body of Christ today that still believe that prosperity is of the devil and a message that encourages people to prosper and encourages people to live life to the full as God has ordained is not a message of God. A lot of people go about saying that Jesus was not, uh, was not rich. Jesus was poor. He rode on camels and uh, donkeys. Okay, he didn't ride camels. He rode donkey and uh, he walked about from place to place. And they say, why should we have cars? Why should we buy planes? I mean, that's, that's a big issue in the body of Christ now. Why should a pastor have planes and so on and so forth? Now, I know that there's been uh, a reasonable degree of abuse of many of these things, but I want us to stay on the side of normalcy and a side of the truth. Let's not lean to any of the excesses or any of the things that have been abused and let that be cloud our judgment. Let's say where things are rightly applied and things are rightly done, 
uh, what should we be doing and what should we believe. Hallelujah. And so it is God's will for us to prosper. Tell your neighbor for me, it's God's will for you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I'll crave your indulgence today. I've got lots to say. This message could have taken me three hours very easily. Very, very easily. But I know I have just a few minutes, so help me to just try and fit it in as much as I can. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For Let's read together. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet... For your sakes, he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might what? Somebody say, become rich. Say, he became poor for my sake. And look at your neighbor and say, for your sake. So that you and I, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, some people don't like to read that. It's the Bible. Some people don't like to read it because it just, just said, are you saying everybody has to be rich? Are you saying that the, the poverty is a, is a sin and all these kind of things? Listen, don't read what the Bible did not say. Just read what it says. It didn't say poverty is a sin. It didn't say that everybody should be the, um, rich. It didn't say everybody should be poor. It just simply says, you, and if you are in the you, might become rich, then why do you want to exclude yourself from what he has provided? Hallelujah. So it is his word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us and then took on physical poverty. So when people argue that Jesus was poor, he was born in a manger, what he did is that part of his mission to crush poverty was to go, come into this world from the lowest possible form. That's why he was not allowed to be born in a house or in a proper hospital. They, they gave birth to him in a manger, the place where you could, the least place that you could expect for human dignity. So that everything, starting from the bottom of poverty, can be addressed. And he became it. Somebody say he became it. The Bible says even though he was rich, he formed the world. Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible says everything was formed by him. He is the son of God. He is the word of God. He formed the entire universe. He is the word that crafted everything. He is rich. He was rich, but he became. He became poor so that you and I, through his poverty, might become rich. Believers must understand this, and when we understand the context of the word of God as revealed to Paul, as he spoke to the Corinthians, we will not struggle with many of the things that we struggle with today, and we will have them in the right perspective. Praise the Lord. So the Bible says the word became flesh. Now, Isaiah was a prophet who prophesied a lot about the coming of Jesus. Remember, every Christmas, almost everywhere on the, on the planet, people quote Isaiah's prophecy. For unto us a child is what? Born and unto us a son is given, and uh, the government shall be upon his shoulders. And the Bible says he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! 
So Isaiah gave that prophecy. But Isaiah also said something about the word of God. Isaiah 55. He said that the word that God gave, even though Jesus came and personified the word, verse 10 says, the word is like as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth. Somebody say water the earth. He said, and make it bring forth and bud that it may give what? Seed to the sower and what? Bread to the eater. I have taught on this many times. We're going to talk about it again today a little. But the, the word that comes always gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Seed to the sower and bread to the eater. This is what Jesus came to do. In the process of coming to make us rich, according to Paul's uh, exposition, he came and his word is what he left with us to keep giving us seed as sowers and bread as eaters. Verse 11. Let's read verse 11 together. It says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall what? Prosper in the thing which I sent it. Somebody say, it shall accomplish in my life. You must understand this. The word of God is powerful. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 10. The Bible says, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply. Somebody says, supply and multiply. Isaiah 55 10 said, He is the one that gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Paul came later with a deeper understanding and revelation. He said, That same one, he will supply and multiply the seed you have done what? Sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor for me, keep sowing the seeds. Because there is an element of bread to be eaten and there is an element of seed to be sown. We must understand this every time. When we take, as I always say humorously, when we take the whole thing and eat it as bread, then we do not give ourselves the room to see the fruits of our righteousness. We must understand that there is bread to be eaten. Everything that comes into our hand always has the element of the seed and always has the element of the bread. So it is our responsibility. When we talk about seed, harvest, and when we talk about the, 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 the place of God, in uh, the word of God in multiplying in our lives, I want us to understand that it is our responsibility to be both the good ground in our hearts and also to be the generous sower. Through obedience. We will not turn to it, but Mark chapter 4 gives us a story of a, a sower. How many of us know the parable of the sower? Okay, I'll quickly recapitulate. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, he said, a sower went out to sow. Okay, and as he was sowing, the Bible says that some fell by the wayside. Some seeds fell by the wayside. The birds of the air came, they picked it up, and there was no way it could grow. So it's like a wasted seed. It says some fell on rocky grounds. And those ones that fell on rocky grounds could not penetrate to have roots so that they could not grow. Again, they withered away and they died. 
Then he said in the third category, he says, some fell, which I believe the, the generation that we are currently in, by way of understanding that God gave to me, is in this category. Many people are in the category of the ones that fell among thorns. You see, that was good ground, but there were also thorns with it. Because the Bible says, those, one, those seeds, when you have time, read Mark chapter 4, from verse 4, verse 3 to verse 9. He said, those ones began to grow. Because the ground is good. It's not that the ground is bad. The ground is good. They began to grow, but at a point, because there are also thorns and thistles on the same good ground, they choked the good plant. Did you read that in your Bible? Is it clearer? It's good ground. But there were also thorns. Why? Because Bible says, Matthew chapter 13, the Bible says, while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tears. Many people are sleeping spiritually and the enemy is sowing tears. And when Jesus talked about that parable, he said, when the thorns came, it choked the seed and it was not able to grow to the point where it can bear fruit. And it talks about two things there. He said, deceitfulness of sin is one of them, of the things. Now, the enemy is sowing a lot of deceit in the body of Christ today, twisting the message of prosperity, twisting the message of seed sowing, either twisting it from the pulpit or twisting it even among the laity, both clergy and laity. Some clergy are irresponsibly manipulating it for selfish gains, and some laity are irresponsibly twisting it so that there can be deceitfulness. These are the thorns that Jesus warned. We must do everything we can to make our hearts like the good ground. The fourth category, which the seed was received and bear fruit in 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Hallelujah. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. These are scriptures. Please note them down. We don't have to, like I said, I could take three hours on this subject. Hosea 10, 12 says, so to yourself in righteousness. Now, so to yourself in righteousness. Reap in mercy, for it is time. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. You and I have a responsibility to break up the fallow ground of our hearts. We have the responsibility to keep our hearts right. So that when the right word of God comes, it is able to bear fruit. Many people have heard the word of prosperity, giving, tithing, offering, and the things that come with it for years. But because they are allowing thorns, they are picking up thorns, sleeping spiritually, not being like the Berean Christian to search for themselves. They keep allowing the things of this world to choke. Believe the word of God, you shall be established. Believe his servants. All you need is a discernment to know who is a servant. That's all you need. When you can discern the servant, believe the servant. If you cannot discern, it will be a problem because you will not know how to sow, where to sow, which one is right, which one is not right. When it is right and you believe, you prosper. Hallelujah. He said, believe the word of the Lord, you shall be established. Believe his servant and you shall prosper. Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter 11 is the second thing we all need to know about how to handle the seed. First thing is our heart must be a good ground. The second thing is we must see ourselves also as the sower. Proverbs 11, let's read verse 24. Let's read together loud. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but he does what? 
leads to poverty. You will not be poor. I say you will not be poor. My God will deal with every element of poverty in and around your life. In the name of Jesus. Verse 25 says what? The generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. These are some scriptures that have transformed my life for years. And I've discovered that the more you learn how to scatter, how to scatter, the more God continues to put things into your hands. The devil's strategy is to say there is economic crunch. And I've told you before, I'm almost 50 years old. I have always heard there is economic crunch since I was in diapers. Oh, we didn't even have diapers in my day. Since I was in nappies. My parents talked about it. My friends talked about it. And some of my parents' age mates are still talking about it. They are in their 80s. When I call those old men at times, and I say, Papa, oh, long time, how are you? They still tell me, oh, life is hard. <laughs> 50 years down the line. So if you are basing your life on this thing called economic crunch, you will never do anything in this life. It has always been. Did you not read in the days of Abraham, there was famine? Did you not read in the day of Isaac, there was famine? In the days of Joseph, there was famine? There is always famine, my friend. <laughs> so don't say I am waiting for when the economy will be better and the, 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 the currency of my country is stronger. If, if you are from my own country and you are waiting for the currency to meet this one, I think in your life... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether there is hope for that because the thing has gone to almost 500 units to one pound. So it has not changed. It has not changed. I want you to understand that you must make up your mind to be a generous soul. Generosity doesn't mean that you are donating millions or you are donating a thousand or you are, you are donating big figures or you are put, doing big, big things. It simply means that you are making sure that something is flowing out. Something is flowing out. If it, the capacity to flow out is 10 pence, let it flow out. If it is one pound, let it flow out. Don't say it is not enough. No, it is the lie of the devil. The Bible says the generous soul. So the soul that just wants to be a blessing and to do right will be made rich. Don't forget, Jesus came so that you can become rich. And what he says is that there are principles, even though his word has come to you. He said, what you need to know is that you could be one that scatters. And as you scatter, you increase the more. May the Lord deliver us from every stinginess. In the name of Jesus. There is a realm whereby you get to and salary no longer becomes your only means of livelihood. I have lived like that for almost 30 years of my working life. I understand that God is the author of all flesh. And whatever he gives to me per time as a job is just one avenue through which he can enable me to live life and to impart abundant life by being a blessing to many others. It comes by knowing the principle of scattering. The more you scatter, how do you increase? He gives you ideas of increase. He gives you favors that will help you to increase. Some of you, it is impossible for the devil to take your job. And I want to believe that for everybody in this church. Why? Because your job and the proceeds of it is directly linked to his work. I heard this from Kenneth Copeland almost 25 years ago. 
He said the church member came. He was a farmer. In their days, they had a lot of farmers like that, uh, big-time farmers. And this man's crop, crops were just failing for no reason. The devil, the devourer came. And Kenneth Copeland said he remembered straight Malachi 3.11. He said that day, I shall rebuke the devourer for your sake. He said he took the man's, those days, tight booklets was, it's not like we do these days. Pastor, you went through that system where you have like checkbook, tight booklet. <laughs> you have like checkbook like this. Every month when you pay your tithe, you, they, they, they will tear part of it. You keep part of it. The, the part that is torn stays in the church. There is a proper record of who is paying tithe and who is not. We've come to a generation where we say, look, do it freely. Nobody wants to monitor. And people still take that for granted. Those days you cannot. When you didn't pay, the pastor will come to you and say, God bless you, sir. We have noticed for about two months that <laughs> ah, it is serious matter. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so the man went through the books and he found that that farmer was a tither. He said he went to the farm. Kenneth Copeland, I'm sure you've read that story. He went to the farm. He knelt down there. He said, Lord, this is your son. He tithes from this farm. This farm cannot fail. You bless him. You will increase him. You have promised that you will rebuke the devourer for his sake. Hallelujah. He said he didn't pray more than that. He said in one week, everything started sprouting again. Everything started sprouting again. Listen, friends, there is a way memorial goes to God. Did you read in Acts chapter 10 that Cornelius, God himself, said this man's offering has come up to me as a memorial? Did you read that? These are the things the devil is trying to rob our generation. Not to be able to have memorials. Not to be able to be in a place where even God is reckoning with our offerings. We must understand that these are demonic strategies that we must not allow. Praise the Lord. This is still the introduction of my message. Hallelujah. We must understand that open heavens is God's reward for obedience. Anytime you want to see God open the heavens, like I just give you the example of Kenneth Copeland's prayer, I want you to know that all you need to do is to obey God. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. It said, Now it shall come to pass. If you diligently do what? Obey the voice. It's on the screen. Please read it with me. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. Verse 12. He said, The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give rain to your land in the season and to bless all the work of your hand, you shall lend to many nations and you shall not borrow. Lift up your two hands. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you that in obedience to your word, as I diligently serve you, diligently give, diligently pay tithes, Lord God Almighty, you will open up to me your good treasure, the heavens, to give my land rain in its seasons and to bless all the work of my hand. Now look at your two hands yourself. Say, these hands shall be blessed by God himself. I shall lend to many nations. No more borrowing for me. 
no more borrowing for me i will not live on borrowing but i will lend to nations because of the blessings of god that will come upon these hands even as i obey the word of god in the name of jesus so shall it be in jesus name friends nobody is trying to take your money when you are asked to give to the things of god every true servant of god is commanded to receive from the people from their labor your money represents everything about you that is why we use money giving is everything time your energy your giftings and all that but we use money because your money is the unitary term that sums up everything most of the time before you are given money you have labored, you have sweated, you have put time, you have put energy, you have put your skill, you have put virtually everything. At times, you have even put money in to make money. And so when that money comes and God says, give me a tenth of it because it is mine. It is for my household. It is for my storehouse. You must understand that it is a privilege for you and I to bring such offering to the Lord. Winston Churchill, one of the, you know, I talk about two British prime ministers a lot. Benjamin Disraeli and Winston Churchill. I've studied their lives for, for a while and I'm still studying. These are men who are not perfect, obviously, by any standard, but they had the fear of God in them, in their own way and in their own understanding. Especially Winston Churchill, many people did not know that he had a very strong faith because he was a very brutish man. He used to look very rough. They used to call him the British Bulldog. He said that the reason why the, the God put the nose of the bulldog to be pointing upward so that he can keep biting while he's still breathing. That was his philosophy of life. He was a very crude man. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. When he took the whole nation and mobilized the entire nation against, against uh, Hitler and the Commonwealth of Nations, he didn't need to do so. He could have relaxed. Britain was okay. But the tyranny that was coming out of Germany at that time by way of Adolf Hitler meant, he said he felt the weight of the whole, the weight of the, of the whole world placed upon his shoulder. And he suddenly felt that this is a time for us to give. We could be comfortable, but we need to give. Giving always takes you out of comfort zone. Hallelujah. He said, when you take something, you make a living. Everything that comes to your life helps you to make a living. You make a living. You can eat by it and all that. But you see, the moment you release the seed, you start to make a life. You start to make a life. You start to contribute more positively. And the Bible says it is more blessed to do what? To give than to what? To receive. They are both a blessing, but there is one that is greater than the other. God himself taught us how to give when he gave us his only begotten son. Everybody can read John 3.16. Let's read together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, God demonstrated about four principles there. He showed us that giving is by love. Love is best manifested by giving. I'll be married to my wife in a month's time by the grace of God will be our 22nd year. If in 22 years all I say to her is, honey, you see, I love you. I just love you. And I've never given her, I've never bought one thing for her. But I just love you, you see. I just love you. You think she'll still be there by now? (laughs) If she's there, something is wrong. (laughs) Everybody 
who says they love somebody demonstrates it. One of the biggest proofs is by giving. She's here. There's nothing that I cannot give her. There's nothing. She knows that. Nothing. That is physically possible for me to give that I can't give her. Now, she's a human being, but the reality of the matter is that how about God who created all of us? So why do we come to this point where we find it difficult to express our love to God by way of giving? The generation of believers of today must check if we truly love God. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. The next thing he did was not to sing to the world, was not to talk to the world. He just simply gave. He simply gave to show that truly I love these people that I have made. The Bible says he gave his only begotten son. He gave, he gave sacrificially his only begotten son. Hallelujah. He gave willingly. Somebody say he gave in love. Say he gave willingly. Say he gave sacrificially. And he said that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave cheerfully. Hallelujah. God's desire was like it was ever since the Garden of Eden when he used to come down in the cool of the day to fellowship with man. His desire is for us to marry together. His desire is to have fellowship with us. And so he gave his only begotten son so that we can all come into that life. First John 5.12 says, he, So he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Hallelujah. Our tithes and our offerings are proof of our love for God. I want to say a few things here. And I really want to just say this very passionately from the depth of my heart. And for those that may be hearing this on the internet, I would want to urge that you please take these words, go study your scriptures, and don't let the world and the enemies of this age confuse you. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says, bring all the tithes, someone say all the tithes, into the storehouse. Okay? Say that there may be food in my house. The capital M there represents God's house. Many people say, oh, this is for the, for the, for the Levite, the Old Testament, and all sorts of things. It's been an argument that's been for ages, particularly in the last few years. But I want to say, if we believe that God still has a house, in the New Testament and in this generation, then we don't need to argue this unless we want to say God no longer has a house. Hallelujah. God's house now, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but when we come together, the Bible says he comes into that place of fellowship. Hallelujah. When two or more of us come together. He said, and try me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will be no more room enough to receive it. Now, we all need to understand, of course, like I read before, verse 11 says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. A lot of people have misinterpreted this scripture to say when a tithe is brought to church, it is brought to the pastor. The tithe is never brought to the pastor. Anything anybody gives to a pastor anywhere as a gift is a gift that they give just to honor the life of that man or woman of God is nothing to do with the tithe that comes to the pastor. The, the tithe is meant for the storehouse. It's meant to run the storehouse to make sure that there is food in the storehouse. It is wickedness to say that church 
should not be given money to run. It is a demonic strategy to cripple the church. The church is not an isolated ecosystem. It's not dissociated from the world. And then people say that the church should not have tithes, should, should not have offerings to run. It is wickedness and we must all shout out against it. And may the Lord continue to help the church to prosper indeed. In the name of Jesus. You don't, if, you, if you rent a hall or hire a hall, you don't go to your landlord at the end of the month and say, Landlord, you know, we are a church. It will let you finish there. You say, my money. <laughs> After all your tongues, you say, my money. <laughs> so let us get it right. The church has to run with money. And that money is not going to be coming from begging people all over the place. It's going to be coming from as many who believe that that is the storehouse that God has planted them and they are obligated to pay their tithes there. The other erroneous thing I want to correct here is that people have said tithes and offerings should be things given to the poor and not brought into the church. Again, this is a misnomer. The church must understand that the first thing she ought to do is to have a sustainable system that takes care of the needs of as many God is bringing into a place of new birth in that church, and then from there are able to also be a blessing. In this church, we do a lot of community work, we do a lot of work, and we support people, and we do things like that, but it comes out of the generous giving of tithes and offerings. There was a story in Matthew chapter 26. A woman came and gave uh, uh, broke a, uh, an alabaster uh, a bottle of oil and poured it on Jesus Christ. And some disciples said, oh, this money should have been given to the poor. This thing should have been sold and given to the poor. And Jesus said something, verse 10. But when Jesus was aware of what they were saying, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. Verse 11. For you have the poor with you always, but me. You do not have always. I want us all to understand something very clearly. There is a dispensation of life that we have to do what we have to do. Many of us here are still in our working age, virtually every one of us. And we must understand that a time will come. The capacity you have to work and make, earn an income the way you have now will not be the same way. Only residual income and whatever God puts in your way will be coming at that point in time. So this is the time. Jesus said, look, Whilst you have me here, whilst you have the energy and you do this, you should make sure that you are honoring me. Praise the Lord. Because the poor will always be with you. Hallelujah. So we must understand the priority. God wants us to minister to the poor and to do the works of justice and the works of social work and social justice. But we must understand that the primary reason for the church is so that we have an entity that is viable, built by God, that is able to do the things that God has commanded it to do. Praise the Lord. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 11 verse 42. He said, but woe to you Pharisees. For you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs. And pass by. That means you don't do justice. You don't show the love of God. He said, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So you need to do your tithing, you need to do everything, and you need to also understand the place of being a blessing to others. So tithes and offerings are things. Tithe is it's 10% of your income that you and I must on a regular basis give to the Lord, 
And then on top of that, we give offerings. On top of that, we bless the widows. We bless the, the needy. We bless our parents. We bless brothers, sisters, fellow believers. We give generously. But what belongs to God is a non-negotiable. And I want to encourage you. By the grace of God, I've been tithing for many years. And I've never stopped tithing, even as a pastor. We must understand that the place of tithing is a, it's a, it's a guarantee. It ensures you in your covenant relationship with God. Hallelujah. And again, I will say, because there have been a few rogue pastors here and there who take people's tithes and use it to live lavish lifestyles and do what they like does not make it a wrong thing. Hallelujah. So let us get the balance right. By the grace of God, I stand by the message of God before you that this church will continue to be an example in the name of Jesus. We will not by any way, by the special grace of God, have any need whatsoever to have financial mismanagement in this place by the grace and mercies of God in the name of Jesus. Friends, saying that every pastor is a rogue pastor is like saying that every doctor is a quack. It's like saying that every, every lawyer is fake or like every pilot is not real or not correct. So we cannot generalize and say because these things have happened and then decide. I am giving this message today. It's not just a message for us here, but for the world at large because these messages do go by the grace of God across the world. Let us do the right thing as Christians. Friends, our love life, our love for God is truly measured by how we give in these circumstances. Tithes are received by men here on earth. Hebrews 7, 7. Hebrews 7, 8, verse 8. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8. It says, Here mortal men receive tithes, but there, but there he receives them. Of him it is witnessed that he lived. So whilst tithes are received here on earth physically, we must understand that God is the custodian of all tithes ultimately. Hallelujah. So offerings and gifts always help us to prove our love for God. And it also helps us to prove our mastery over money. When money is looking like an element of something that you are finding difficult to part with, you need to check your love life. Especially when it has to be parting with it for God. Matthew 6.24 Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot. Tell your neighbor for me, you cannot. Serve God and mammon. Everything about money must be such that you are using it to serve God. The moment you allow money to find its place like that, it no longer harasses you. The moment you allow money to see that, look, if you come to my hand, I throw you to God. <laughs> he no more, he's no more afraid. He, in fact, he's never afraid to come to you again. He never harasses you again. It's when you show money that, look, money, if you come now, I don't know if I can handle this. Lord, I don't even know if I can pay my tithe. Money will say, yeah, I have my control over you. Yes, 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 yes. And then it won't even come. <laughs> it won't come. But when he knows that you are that kind of person that you have shown him that it means, he means nothing to you, you find that God starts to put money in your hands in ways that will be even beyond your comprehension. Praise the Lord. May the Lord continue to give us mastery over money. In the name of Jesus. The subject of money is not an easy one to preach or to hear. 
Money has caused a lot of problems. It has made people kill other people and done a lot of things. But it does not make it what we shouldn't talk about in the right context. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Paul warned Timothy, he said, For the love of money is what? A root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Hallelujah. You will not love money. You want to love money? I say you will not love money. I want everybody to say amen, unless you are telling me you, love, you want to love money. I say you will not love money. People are afraid to say amen. You think it will run away from you. I say, church, you will not love money. In the name of Jesus, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your money. And money will keep coming to you. In the name of Jesus. You scared me a bit. I must confess. Let us read the Bible and understand. Money is meant to be your servant. Don't treat money as if it's more than what it is. Giving must be done intentionally and willingly. God showed us. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 5. He said, therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Friends, let us always learn to give willingly and intentionally. Hallelujah. Giving must be sacrificial. I don't have enough time to go into many of these details again, but giving must be sacrificial. No giving must be done out of convenience. You must understand. It must cost you something. It must cost you something. I made up my mind here that anyone that has a child that is born in this place or something, that I will definitely do everything I can in my own capacity, not from church money, to bless. And since I made that commitment, there is no time that I have not been able to do it. If you have ever had a child here recently and I did not, something did not come from my family to you, come and tell me. That means it was a big oversight. And you will get it today. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because anytime you commit to doing something good, God blesses you. I don't come to church looking. Have, you ever, have I ever greeted you and said, Pastor Moses, is there an envelope in your hand? Envelope? <laughs> have I ever come to church, Pastor Sefa, and say, anything for me today? God forbid. God forbid. Instead, I look for people to bless. Now, there are people who bless me, and I must say, I appreciate God for their lives when they do so. But the reality is I don't, go, I don't come to church waiting for what people will give me. Many times I come to church ready for who I'm to bless. Not because I'm pastor of the church, but because I understand for years that giving is living. Giving is life. Hallelujah. If you want God to translate your life, you must be a giver. So you say, why do these pastors talk like this? I'm talking like my father David. Let's read it. Second Samuel <laughs> chapter 24. Let's read it, let's read it, let's read it. My father, King David. His time came when he was going to be in trouble. God was not happy with the Israelites and he made him to number them. And you know that story, Second Samuel 24. And uh, the Bible says, God was a priest in verse 18. He came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord and the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of God, went up to the Lord as, as the Lord commanded. 
Now Arona looked and saw the king and his servant coming towards. So Arona went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Then Arona said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor. Somebody said to buy. David went there to buy. He was the king. He said, I have come to you, my subject, to buy. Because God commanded that I should buy. He said, to build, to buy the threshing floor. Why? To build an altar to the Lord. So the plague may be withdrawn from the people. And Arona said to David, let my lord the king take and offer whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen. Even Arona himself wanted to bless. He said, here are oxen, burnt sacrifice, threshing implements, and the yokes of the oxen for wood. He said, all these, O king, Arona has given to the king. And Arona said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. Now, if David does not understand the covenant of giving and the blessing that comes to giving sacrificially, he would have simply said, oh, this is another blessing of the Lord. Thank you very much, Arona. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We have taken the land. Let's go. But David understood. He said, I came here to buy. Okay? He said, I came here to buy for my God. Look at what he said next. Verse 24. Let's read together. Then the king said to Arona, no, but I will surely what buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen for what? 50 shekels of silver. And then verse 25, and David built there an altar to the Lord. And offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord God heeded the prayers for the land. And the plague was withdrawn from Israel. He said it is about an altar to the Lord. David decided that he would sacrificially buy it. What am I trying to say, friends? Let us understand what a sacrifice is. This was why later on David was giving gold and silver and bronze and all these things of his own proper good. He became a blessed man that today generations are still trying to understand how his blessings came about. No theologian can explain the blessing of David. (laughs) When a man is blessed from heaven, I tell you his life is a mystery. It's a mystery. You live differently. And I want you and everybody in this church to understand. This is where God wants us to be. Again, I say this with a plea. Please, go and read these scriptures yourself. Listen to this message again. Read these scriptures yourself. And if you think Pastor David is just saying this because we want to raise money, you will miss the whole point. Because the the idea is about what God will do in your life to transform it and transform my life as well. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 12, Jesus came. He showed us that he's interested in what people give. Verse 41. He said, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money. Somebody say, how the people put money. He was observing how they danced, how they put things down. And he was more concerned about what they were putting in. Verse 41. He said, now Jesus sat opposite and saw how the people were putting money. And many who put were rich. They did what? They put in much. He acknowledged that. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant. Verse 43. So he called his disciples. This is my calling to you today. Come and learn something here. As surely as I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For all they put in, all they put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in that she had. Praise the Lord. 
We all know this story very well, but for Jesus to be saying that that woman put in more, not because it was just two mites. So some people who are wealthy have heard this scripture preached and used wrongly by people who should know. They will come in their, in their, in their wealth. They will come and say, Lord, I bring you my own might. Who told you you are the one he was talking about? <laughs> he said that we, widow gave everything she had. So there is a giving that is qualitative in God's presence. That is what he wants you and I to attain. For some people, their widow's might is one pound. For, for some people, it's ten pound. For some people, it's one pound. For some people, it's, it's hundred pound. For some people, it's a thousand pound. But whatever that thing is, that is a sacrifice to you. Jesus was the only begotten son of God when God gave him to the world. Listen, friends, it was a big sacrifice. And I dare use the word in quote, gamble. Because if at Gethsemane, Jesus said he was no longer going with it. He had given his son for nothing. But he gave it. He, de- he dared you and I and gave it all the same. Why must we hold that which we should give to the Lord? The Bible says many people came out of their abundance and were giving and were giving. But she, out of her poverty, she put in all she had. My God will give you the grace for generosity and the grace to be sacrificial in the name of Jesus. We must understand that giving must be done cheerfully. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 6 and 7. He said, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 7. So let each one give as he proposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. It doesn't mean somebody who brings small money that is not anything to them and then they are laughing doing it. That's not cheerful giving. Okay, cheerful giving means that they are happy, they're excited. They don't, they don't bring that in and say, God, you know, I'm bringing this again. Yeah, take it, take it and go. He's writing the envelope and saying, that's it. They, they always collect money, money. Nah, 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 nah. God doesn't want that. <laughs> yeah. Every one of us will keep partaking in the things of God. Let us be cheerful at giving. When you give money to your parents, be happy doing it. Don't say that woman that was so mean to me when I was nine years old. You are no more nine years old. Bless her. I say bless her. Bless him. Bless your brethren. When you give money to your brethren and you are giving, give it cheerfully, generously. Hallelujah. Don't give to people what does not mean anything to you. Don't. Don't go and look through your rack. You saw a brother that needs a shirt. Don't go and look through your rack. And that one that all this place is torn and you, you're no longer using it. You now package it. You say, bro, I want to bless you. You are not blessing. You are not blessing. <laughs> you are not blessing. You saw the brother needs a shirt. Go to the shop where you buy your own. Where you buy your own. Buy something you would have won. Then give it to him. That is something that has cost you something. They say, oh, the church needs something. Don't say, ah, honey, we have that thing in the garage. It has been there for 10 years. Can we take it to the church? No, don't take it to any church. The church needs it. What the church needs is brand new, (laughs) brand new top quality. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Friends, let us not get our mentality enmeshed with the sluggishness that is going on in the place of the world system today. We have to be exemplary in giving. Hallelujah. Rise to your feet and let's talk to God.